Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 9th of August, and this is Govind Rajethi Raj coming to you from Mumbai, India's financial capital. Our top stories and themes for the day China's trade numbers and exports plunge unexpectedly in July. Auto sales are slowing down in India. What's driving it and what it means? Now, wheat prices swing to a six month high. The data points that are coming and that we should be careful to not jump to conclusions. And hmm, moonlighters forget to account for their extra incomes, get tax notices. This is a call report with Govindraj Ethiraj. China's trade falls. China's trade fell sharply in July on the back of slowing global demand as well as domestic pressures for imports. Overseas shipments dropped 14.5% in dollar terms last month from a year earlier, the worst decline since February 2020, while imports contracted 12%, the Customs Administration in China said on Tuesday in a report quoted by Bloomberg News. That still left a trade surplus of $80 billion for the month. Now, the export and import figures were worse than what economists polled by Bloomberg had expected. Shipments to the United States plummeted 23% in July, according to customs data again. Exposed to other markets, including Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, ASEAN, the EU, Brazil and Australia, all dropped by double-digit percentages too. And that is where perhaps India needs to worry, particularly on the exports front. Now, some economists also attributed the decline in imports to China to falling commodity prices, meaning that even though Chinese factories were still buying materials, they were doing so at lower prices. For example, the value of crude oil imports fell more than 12% in the first seven months of 2023 from a year ago, but by volume, crude oil actually jumped by around 12% at that time. Back home yesterday, we spoke of how the markets are consolidating at the current levels or below the 20,000 mark on the Nifty. As brokerage ICICI Securities had put it, and we spoke, the Nifty 50 index is consolidating just below the 20,000 mark after rallying 14% from March 23 lows, which is a modest 7% year-to-date return, while robust earnings expansion catches up. Now, all of this, according to ICICI Securities, indicates rational behavior. So, we're still in consolidation mode right now. The Sensex ended 107 points lower at 65,847 and the NSC Nifty 50 closed with a small loss of 26 points at 19,571. Auto sales are slowing. Auto sales, that's all of auto, for the month of July showed a 10% year-on-year increase but slowed down month-on-month by 5% which means sales in the month of July were actually lower than in the month of June, according to data from the Federation of Automobile Dealers. Three-wheelers were an exception to this trend. Now, category-wise, passenger vehicles grew 4%, commercial vehicles 2%, two-wheelers 8%, three-wheelers 74%, and tractors at 5%. It's not clear what the trends are that stitch these categories together, but we will come to that in a moment. As brands go, Maruti Suzuki led the pack with the number of passenger vehicles at about a lakh and 17,000 or 117,000, Hyundai Motors at around 41,000, all of this is in July, and Tata Motors at third at 39,000. Hero Motor Corp was the highest selling two wheeler company, followed by Honda Motorcycles at 299,000 or almost 300,000. 
To get a better understanding of the trends behind these numbers, I reached out to Manish Raj Singhania, President of the Federation of Auto Dealers in India and also Managing Partner of Ralas Motors, based out of Raipur in Chhattisgarh. Definitely, auto retail had a good role in uh, the month of July and every segment has been doing pretty well. Uh, the best part is that two-wheeler was doing well. That's the one particular segment that had been lacking behind. Say on a month-on-month basis, yes, definitely you can see the peak growth there. Just understand that July is the leanest month of the year. Okay, so whatever happens in June, not possible that will happen in July. So that's why on our MOM basis, uh, you can see deep growth. And yes, on a short-term basis, you can say there's a slowdown. But overall, the industry, the dealers are positive. If we want to go segment-wise, two-wheeler, though not recovered from pre-COVID level, is still, you know, on a YOI basis that's doing well. And the passenger car already, we had predicted a single-digit growth in PV. That's also coming true for the first four months of this financial year. Where on an average, uh, PV is growing by 3-4% due to heavy autobooks and especially rolling and, uh, you know, kick in the SUV segment. A lot of consumer aspiring to own an SUV, that segment is really moving. Sales continue to carry a good booking. CV are the wheels of economy. They have been, you know, as, as the infra is moving, government spend is moving, more activity, more mining, it directly linked to the GDP. So, all activity is going up. It is showing a decent recovery. With more activation in terms of industrial output and uh, moment outputs, it will further enhance. Tractor has reached an all-time high figure last financial year and it still continues to grow this financial year. So there's a lot of steam still left in the tractor segment. Three-wheeler has completely transited from ICE vehicles to electric vehicles. And probably the huge growth that you see in three-wheeler can be attributed to the electric vehicles where they don't require permits as such. When you purchase an ICE vehicle, you normally have to apply for permit with the State Transport Authority and accordingly permits are issued. But electric vehicles are exempted from uh, permits. And as you are aware, we do not have a very sound public transport system in our cities. So that has helped this uh, segment. Right. So you're saying that if I were to buy a similar load carrying capacity, though it may not be the same load carrying capacity for a three-wheeler uh, in electric, then I don't need a permit. No, permits were especially required in the passenger carrying vehicles. For load carrying vehicles, permits were not normally required. Majorly, it is not required. Very few cities in India may ask for a permit, but otherwise for road carrying, there is no permit. So for passenger vehicles, say like the uh, city of Maharashtra, probably I think... Uh, in Maharashtra, there is a limited quantum of permits that were issued to three-wheeler vehicles when it was a petrol or ice vehicle. But similarly, when you are buying an electric vehicle, central government itself has discussed the use of uh, you know application of permit in this three-wheeler set. So that's why you can comfortably buy a reply out in your city. Okay. So in between these categories, that's commercial vehicles, two-wheelers, three-wheelers, tractors, is there any common trend apart from what is maybe reflected in overall economic growth? So the common trend, uh, I would say uh, everything is good for the auto industry per se right now. The weakest link I would comment about is our, uh, you know, rural economy, that Bharat of India that still struggles. That's why compared to a pre-COVID level, two-wheeler still continues to degrow by almost 23-24%. That's a huge degrowth. And it has not recovered well. You can see entry-level two-wheelers, especially motorcycles and entry-level passenger cars, their volumes have substantially gone now. 
see, auto industry uh, suffered a double whammy. Like all the industry, we did suffer of the COVID impact and lockdown and all that. Apart from that, we also transited in 2000, 1st of April, from BS4 to BS6. So the entry-level vehicle, the motorcycle that was available for, say, 40,000 rupees, in BS6 regime, that went up to almost 60,000. So there's a phenomenal increase of 50%. So price of acquisition went up. And plus price of running operation, I should say, in terms of fuel cost, whether it is the EMI of that household. It is not just the vehicle loan we are talking about. It's a complete uh, household that various loans that household might have taken. And the incremental rapid increase in interest rate, their overall EMI of that particular household went up. So cost of acquisition, cost of operations, everything is up. Plus the COVID impact that is totally not, you know, recovered in the rural economy. You can see all SUVs and you know, all premium cars in a huge booking uh, mode and they are not available of the shares. Similarly, you just saw Harley Loth, its bike that has crossed, you know, 25,000 plus booking. Triumph received over 15,000 booking. So in two years also, that segment is like crazy. That segment is really moving. But down the line, if you go and see, the entry-level models, whether it is passenger car or uh, two-wheeler, that's amply available at the dealerships. Yeah. Okay. So, are you seeing a general trend of, let's say, uh, interest rate impact because interest rates are, let's say, relatively lower to what they were earlier? Or is that not really an issue when it comes to purchases or buying? Financing of a vehicle is not much of an issue. But definitely rise in interest rates have affected the buying decision, of especially the entry-level segment. So, a particular household might be having a personal loan or maybe a vehicle loan or a house loan or number of three, four loans on that might be, you know, moving that in that household. So, with this rapid increase in interest rate, the complete EMI of that household has gone up. So, that impacts the new buying decision, whether it may be auto or maybe it's a home or it, whether it's a gold or a trilogy. So, that has really impacted. And in the short term, we don't see and plus the inflation is also you know, on a, a very high level. So daily basis, daily need is pretty expensive right now. So that segment, they are aspiring for acquiring things, but are unable to do so. Right, Manisha. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Google. Thank you. Father President Manisha Chigani referred to bookings for the higher-priced Hero Harley bikes. Demand is apparently so strong that Bloomberg is now reporting that Hero Motor Corp has now stopped taking bookings for a new Harley-Davidson motorcycle in India after receiving more than 25,500 orders. Hero said it had seen overwhelming demand for the Harley-Davidson X440 in the month since it started to take orders, which it's producing in partnership with the American motorcycle company. Over 65% of the over 25,000 bookings are for the highest-end X440 priced at around 269,000 rupees. Hero will start production of the motorcycle in September and begin deliveries the following month, that's in October. The strong demand apparently prompted Hero to raise the starting price by nearly 5% earlier this month. UK's Triumph Motorcycles has partnered with Bajaj Auto, meanwhile, to design and make bikes costing under 200,000 rupees. Harley and Triumph will now compete against Aisha Motors' owned Royal Enfield. Bajaj Triumph has now received over 15,000 bookings for the bike, also at the higher price range of around 2.3 lakh rupees or 230,000 rupees. India, data in disguise. 
In an interesting report, HSBC Securities economists have alerted that four data points that will come in the next four weeks should not be taken on face value and deserve deeper study and more careful interpretation. The first is GDP growth for the April to June quarter, which could land at around 8%. This is good, HSBC Security says, but some of it could simply be statistical. The bank says that issues with the manufacturing and services deflator could overstate GDP growth by one percentage point and a low base could overstate it as well. A deflator is a figure expressing the change in prices over a period of time for a product or basket of products. The other point HSBC makes is that tax revenue growth may not give a good indication of overall economic growth. In June, GST and income tax revenue growth was good but corporate tax growth was weak. This in turn, HSBC Securities says, reflects a K-shaped recovery, stronger demand for luxury goods where price and tax rates are driving higher goods and services tax and the improved formal sector prospects driving income tax. While housing rents are rising 11-22%, to the CPI housing inflation or the consumer price inflation housing inflation levels remains at 4.8%. This, HSBC says, is a problem with computational issues across the board. So, inflation in rented houses, owner-occupied houses and government dwellings. And finally, liquidity. The bank says it may be a good idea to look at a variety of rates and not just call money rate to gauge the liquidity in the banking system. Housing rents and home prices. Speaking of rising housing rents and coming to home prices, the average prices of homes costing more than 1.5 crore rupees has seen the highest price appreciation in the last five years in the top seven cities, a new report from real estate consulting firm Anarok has said. So, if you owned a home that was worth more than 1.5 crore rupees to start with in the last five years, then the increase in value of that house would have been higher than homes worth less than 1.5 crore rupees. As averages go, prices of homes priced more than a crore and a half in the top seven cities saw the highest price appreciation between 2018 and 23 amongst all three budget categories. And of course, from 12,400 rupees per square feet in 2018 to about 15,350 per square feet today. Among the top seven cities, Hyderabad recorded the highest jump of 42% in the average price of luxury homes in this period. So, a quick reminder of where we in Mumbai stand. The Mumbai metropolitan region has the highest average price across all housing categories amongst the top seven cities. This is of course not new, but it's just to remind ourselves of what we pay here. The average price of homes priced in the more than 1.5 crore category stands now at about 29,000 rupees a square feet. Chennai has the second highest average luxury housing price at around 15,250. In the national capital region, it's about 14,500. And Bangalore, it's about 12,970. From homes to food. Speaking of rising prices again, and for the wrong reasons, prices of wheat in India have now surged to a six-month high. News agency Reuters is reporting this and quoting dealers to say that this is due to robust demand ahead of the festival season. Rising cereal prices, which includes wheat, by the way, have already been an area of concern. Cereal inflation is now close to 13%. In all key producing states, farmer supplies have come nearly to a halt. Flour mills are struggling to obtain sufficient supplies in the market, a New Delhi-based trader told Reuters. So what could be a way out or what should policy response be? Agricultural economist Dr. Ashok Gulati and former chairman of the Commission for Agricultural Costs and Prices said in an interview to television station NDTV that India should import some wheat 
like 5 million tons or so, and essentially calm the market. This is what he said. On the wheat side, our stocks had gone down. Last year, production estimates were, the trade believes, much lower than what the government had said. There was a big gap. Even this year, when the government is saying we are going to have 112 and 13 million tons, uh, the trade feels it's uh, 105, 106 million tons. So there is a gap in wheat. So what did we do? Last year, we put first an export ban on wheat. Then this time in June, we started putting stocking limits on wheat. My feeling is we are using the policy instruments of 1960s when we didn't have the foreign exchange to buy anything. The fact is, if your production has gone down, at least the trade believes that it has gone down, how do you kill those expectations, inflationary expectations, by importing? And you have so much, $600 billion in your reserves. What if you import 5 million tons of wheat and kill those inflationary expectations? You have an import duty on wheat of 40%. There is no need. So you bring it down to 5%, 10%, and the inflationary pressures will cool. And hmm, our really smart moonlighter fellow citizens. Turns out that our smart moonlighting brethren are not so smart at all. The years 2020 to 22 were open season for moonlighting, mostly the IT professionals, who figured not only could they relocate to their hometown or beach or hill station, but also hold multiple jobs and assignments at the same time, usually with each employer not being told about the other. Wipro even sacked 300 employees last year for moonlighting and thus unethical practices. A report in the Economic Times now says that the Income Tax Department has sent notices to many professionals who earned income outside their regular salary but did not declare in their tax returns. Most of these notices were issued for financial years 2019-20 to and 20-21, to the newspaper said. In a number of these cases, the income from the so-called moonlighting or job outside the full-time role was actually higher than the regular salary. Amazingly, most of these payments were made online and some were received from overseas accounts, which the tax department also detected. Notices have been sent to all. Maybe it would be a good idea to share the names of these employees with each of their employers as well, in the form of a tax query, of course. Speaking of moonlighting and working from home, Bloomberg News is reporting a study by economists at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT, and the University of California, Los Angeles, which found that workers randomly assigned to work from home full-time are 18% less productive than those in the office. The researchers who studied newly hired data entry workers, guess where, in India, who were randomly assigned to either the home or the office, said that two-thirds of the drop in productivity was evident from the first day of work. The remaining difference showed up over time as in-office workers learned more quickly than their fully remote counterparts. Well, that's it from me for today. Have a great Wednesday ahead. Do write in to us as always with your feedback and suggestions and do log in to www.thecore.in for your daily newsletter and news insights. Bye for now. This was The Core Report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at The Core. 
you can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in that is www.thecore.in or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you, including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.